May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning and welcome to Parkway Fellowship. So glad you're here today. I also want to welcome those of you that are joining us by live video feed, as well as those that are watching on the internet, that are watching on their smartphone app or listening to this on a podcast or on a CD. Welcome, glad you're with us. And to everybody, I want to say Happy Easter. That was really weak. Let's try that again, okay? Everybody, even those watching, happy Easter. Happy Easter. There you go. I like that. All right. Very good. Very excited there. Um, now, today we're kicking off a brand new series called More Than a Story. And in this series, we're going to be looking at some of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. And, and most people are at least somewhat familiar with these stories. You know, maybe we've heard them as children, or maybe seen one of the recent movie remakes, or you know, maybe just heard them referenced in society. But the problem is, is that most people don't know the fine details of these stories. Because when these stories get retold, they're retold with just the high points in mind. And it, additionally, these stories have good moral lessons contained therein, and so we tend to retell these stories right alongside other stories with good moral lessons. And so when we, we teach kids, we, we tell kids about you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know, Humpty Dumpty, Noah's Ark, Tortoise and the Hare, you know, Joan and the Whale kind of thing. For instance, <clears throat> this is a uh, children's Bible storybook that I brought with me today. Um, and this book is targeted to kids that are birth through toddler age. Um, and I want you to listen to the story of the resurrection and crucifixion. Okay, it's the Easter story. I want you to listen to this story. And, um, and I, one of the things I like about this book is that um, it has like hand motions that go with it. So let's have some fun. Let's all do the hand motions together, okay? So it goes like this. One day, the people had a big parade to show how much they loved Jesus. And it says to wave your arms in the air. Okay, so everybody, wave your arms in the air. Oh, very good. Yeah, okay. Some people did not like Jesus. They took him away. His friends thought they would never see him again. And it says, show me a sad face. So. Okay. Then Mary saw Jesus. Jesus had come back to life again. We are glad Jesus is alive and with us now. And then it says, say together, Jesus is alive. So, Jesus is alive. That wasn't that fun. <laughs> now, the story is accurate, right? But so many of the fine details of the story are missed. Now, I'm not saying that for toddlers, you know, that we need to like drill down into the real deep parts of each one of these stories, okay? But the danger is, is that this story gets lumped in with all the other fables and nursery rhymes, and as a result, we tend not to take the story too seriously. Or, we think of this story as more of a fairy tale, than a real story. Or, we tend not to think of this story at all because you know, we've matured past all of that. 
Now, look, there's, there's nothing wrong with an introductory level understanding of the Bible, no matter what age, you know, because everybody's got to start somewhere. But the problem is, is if we stay at an introductory level of the Bible, then we miss out on the grown-up lessons and principles that God would want to use in our lives to change our lives. Because you've got to remember, these are true stories about real people who faced real dilemmas that saw a real God come through in a real way. So to help us understand these stories, our our incredible stage team has created a gigantic children's pop-up book. And there's a different pop-up page for every story in this series. And each of the pop-ups on each page will help us grab some of the details of these stories so that you know, we can learn the principles and the lessons that are contained therein. Because once we do that, then these stories become more than a story. They become a tool in God's hands that he can use to change our approach to life and deepen our faith. So, that brings us to our story for today. It's the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the Easter story, the one that probably you've heard told many times in your life. Now, Growing up, for me, I always thought that the central story of Easter was the crucifixion. I mean, it's the cross, because it's at the cross. That's where the real spiritual heavy lifting occurred, right? Because it's at the cross. That's where Jesus purchased forgiveness for sins for all of humanity. I mean, does it really get any bigger than that? So I've always thought that the cross is the central event in all of Christianity. And growing, I grew up that way. Even as a minister for years, I thought that way. And I'm willing to bet that most people think that way too. Now, by the way I've been talking, I'm sure you've probably figured out that maybe the cross might not be the central event in Christianity, and that, you know, judging by the title of today's sermon, you know, The Empty Tomb, that somehow The Empty Tomb must be the right answer. But I'm also willing to bet that very few people could articulate why. Very few people can articulate why The Empty Tomb would be the central event in Christianity, which, by the way, proves that we need to have a deeper, more grown-up understanding of this story. Because wouldn't we all like to know why the empty tomb is so important? I mean, wouldn't we all like to know why it, it, it truly is the central event in Christianity? I mean, why is the empty tomb such a game-changer? Okay, now, don't worry. We're not going to get to the end of today. I'm not going to ask anybody to you know, go home and throw away all of your decorative crosses, okay? You don't have to do that. You don't have to get rid of all your jewelry with crosses on it, okay? I mean, I can just see the headline now. Local pastor says, throw cross in the trash. No, no, no. No, no, no. We're not going anywhere near that. So go ahead and pull out your message notes, and let's begin by asking this question. What are the lessons of the empty tomb that make it the central event in Christianity? Well, here's grown-up lesson number one. 
Without the empty tomb, the cross is meaningless. Without the empty tomb, the cross is meaningless. Wait, meaningless? Like, hold on there, Pastor Mike. I mean, you just told me that at the cross, that's where the sins of the world were forgiven. How is that meaningless? Okay, no, hold on, time out. I didn't say the cross was meaningless. In fact, the cross is incredibly meaningful because without Jesus dying on the cross, look, nobody gets to heaven. Okay, nobody. Because the Bible is clear. You can't get to heaven by being good. Okay, good deeds don't cancel out bad deeds like most people think. Okay, that is not how it works. That is not what the Bible says at all. Good deeds don't cancel out bad deeds. And so that, you know, hopefully at the end of your life, maybe you've done more good deeds than bad, so that's how you get to heaven. That is not true. Good deeds don't cancel out bad deeds. Bad deeds, or, you know, sins, have to be forgiven. They don't get canceled out. And Jesus provides a way for everyone to be forgiven of their sins by dying on a cross, and his death pays the penalty for those sins so that you and I can have that kind of forgiveness. So look, the cross is incredibly, incredibly meaningful. But then we run across verses like this in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, it says this. And this is in your notes. If Christ hasn't come back to life, our message has no meaning. And your faith also has no meaning. What? Okay, like, how is, how is that possible? All right, well, how do you know that your sins actually got paid for on the cross? I mean, how do you know that Jesus wasn't just some raving lunatic who just claimed that he was the savior of the world, but really wasn't? I mean, how do you know that he is who he says he is and that he died on the cross and actually paid for sins? How do you know that? I mean, there's been lots of people in the world that have claimed to be the savior of the world. In fact, in Jesus' day, right before Jesus comes on the scene, there was a man who claimed to be the savior, and until he was killed by the Romans. So how do you know that Jesus is who he said he is? Well, look what happens right after Jesus dies on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 59, Joseph, now this is Joseph of Arimathea. This is not Joseph's, Jesus' dad, okay? So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Okay, now look, they knew what you and I know that if they were able to produce the body, nobody could claim that Jesus had risen from the dead. Because they were like, well, no, he didn't. Like, we've got his body. It's right here. 
And so you know what they did? They posted Roman guards at the tomb to prevent anybody from going in and sitting in the body. So there would have been multiple guards there guarding the tomb so that nobody could come, roll the stone away, steal the body, put the stone back, and so they could say Jesus raised from the dead. And more than that, they put a seal around the tomb. Now, the seal didn't make the stone harder to roll away. The seal was merely melted wax they you know, put in the crack around the tomb, and they would have stamped Pilate's official seal into the wax while it was still warm. That way, if, just in case enough people came and they were able to overpower the guards, and they rolled the stone away, stole the body, put the stone back, the seal would have been broken, and they would know that the resurrection was a fake. So everything was done to prevent somebody from breaking into the tomb. But I'm telling you, in their wildest dreams, nobody ever thought or anticipated that someone would actually break out of the tomb from the inside. That contingency was never planned for. Nobody thought that. Not even the disciples at this stage in the game considered that a possibility. But I'm telling you, that is exactly what happened. On that day, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus came from the inside. And then the tomb was empty. See, it's one thing for someone to claim that they're the Savior of the world and then die, but it's a totally different thing if that same person predicts their resurrection from the dead, and then it actually happens. And at that point... The empty tomb proves that Jesus actually provided forgiveness of sins because it proves that he, that he is who he says he is, the Savior of the world. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, here's your application. This is your filling. It means that I must rethink what I think about every relationship. I must rethink what I think about every relationship. Look, the resurrection, if you're a Christ follower, the resurrection proves that you have forgiveness from God. Okay, and that's forgiveness for everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do. Look, you are totally forgiven for everything. Well, what relationships does that change? All of them. It changes every relationship. It changes your relationship with God because since you're already forgiven, you don't have to work to stay in his good graces. You already are. It changes your relationship with your spouse because when you forgive, just like God has done for you, you don't ever have to bring it up again. Okay, ever. Because it's forgiven. Okay, like that's a marriage game changer, right? It changes your relationship with your kids because since God is so patient with you, you can be patient with them. It changes your relationship with your friends because since you're forgiven, there's no need for you to hold a grudge when there's a misunderstanding. And it also changes your relationship with yourself because since you are already forgiven, look, you can put away all of that guilt and shame about the things in your past and some of you have been carrying around that stuff for years, okay? It's forgiven. Like, you can put that down 
and walk away. I'm telling you, when that rock was moved and Jesus came out of the tomb, that changed everything. And it especially changes your relationships because it's proof that your past is forgiven. And so you can freely offer that forgiveness in every relationship you have. See that? All right. Here's grown-up lesson number two. Grown-up lesson number two is this. The disciples fully sold out after the resurrection. (coughs) Excuse me. The disciples fully sold out after the resurrection. Now, I want you to think about this. The disciples have been following Jesus around for three years, okay? They had left everything to follow him. They left family. They left careers. They left friends. They left their hometowns. I mean, they left everything to follow Jesus, okay? Why? Because they believed that if there was ever going to be anyone that was going to overthrow the Romans, like, it was going to be this guy. But when they saw Jesus die... They saw their dreams of what they hoped would happen die too. And so you know what they did? They hid. They ran back to the upper room where they had had the last supper with Jesus just the night before, and they hid. They barricaded the door because they thought the Romans were going to come for them next and crucify them too. So they hid. Okay, these guys are not candidates to set the world on fire for Christ. But you know what? That's exactly what happened. And you know what it was that changed it for the disciples? It was the resurrection. See, once the disciples ran to the empty tomb and they saw that it was truly empty, that changed everything for them. Look what the Bible says. Look at these next set of verses. In John chapter 20, the first eight verses, look what it says. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's John, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And I want you to underline this. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. So when did the Apostle John really believe? When he went to the tomb and saw it for himself. Now look, from this point forward, the disciples, they became different men. From this point forward, 
They became bold with their faith. I mean, when they prayed, they saw miracles happen. They freely gave of themselves without any thought for themselves. And if you read the New Testament from this point forward, the disciples constantly talked about the resurrection. You know, for them it was like, hey, the reason I place my faith in Christ is because I saw him die. And three days later, we were eating breakfast with him on the seashore. The reason for the hope I have is that I saw him die, and three days later, he appeared to us in the upper room. You know, I might not know everything about all the theology, but here's one thing that I do know. I saw him die, and three days later, we were talking with him. I'm telling you. The resurrection changed everything for them, and the disciples were never the same again. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? It means, and this is your feeling, if it's true, then I fully yield to Christ. If the resurrection is true, then I have to fully yield to Christ. Look, the disciples changed their lives because they saw someone who was dead come to life three days later. And it was at that point that they truly believed. What about you? Look, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to do what the disciples did. You've got to fully sell out to Christ. You've got to fully devote yourself to following him. I know there might be some that's like, well, you know what, Mike, I, 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 I don't know that I really believe in the resurrection. I, I, I've got some real doubts there. Okay. If, if you don't believe the resurrection or you have doubts about the resurrection, then let me ask you this. What happened to Jesus' body? Because at that point, the burden of proof becomes on you. What happened to the body of Christ? Because all of Christianity falls apart if at any point the body of Jesus is found. And early opponents to Christianity knew that. And so they searched high and low. They overturned every rock to try to find the body of Jesus. But they never found it. You know why? Because there was no body to be found. He had risen again. In fact, objective historians... When they try to poke holes in Christianity, they rarely attack the resurrection because there's so little evidence against the resurrection and there's so much overwhelming evidence for the resurrection. And one of the key pieces of evidence for the resurrection is the fact that Jesus was seen by more than 500 eyewitnesses after he was resurrected. Now, this isn't 500 people, okay? Like, we couldn't put 500 people in a pop-up book, all right? So let's just say that these are like the overachiever, first arrival type of people, okay? You laugh because some of you are that person, okay? But look, let's think, think this through. If Jesus was seen by, you know, like, like one, maybe two people, like we'd, there'd be a lot of skepticism of, you know, did he really rise... But if you can get more than 500 people to all corroborate the same story and not a single one of them recants, despite being tortured by the Romans, 
My friends, that's ironclad eyewitness testimony at that point. So that means that the resurrection is not just a story. It's more than a story. It's real. And just like the disciples, we need to fully yield our lives to Christ. So how do I fully yield my life to Christ? Well, here's some ideas. One way is you got to start here is that I need to become a Christ follower. Look, that's the first step. You've got to become a Christ follower. And I'm going to actually talk about that in just a moment and give you a chance to do that here in just a second. But that's the first step. Next, I need to change my kid's schedule to fully yield to Christ. Look, if you fully yield your life to Christ, then you also have to fully yield your kid's schedule to Christ. By that I mean you might have to say no to some kid's activities so your kids will have an opportunity to say yes to some God-related activities. Next, make church a non-negotiable. Make church a non-negotiable. You know, when I was a sixth grader, my parents decided to make church a non-negotiable for our family. And I'm telling you, that one decision by my parents changed my life. I promise you, I would not be in the ministry today if it wasn't for my parents making that key decision. Because that dramatically increased my exposure to God and to teachings about the Bible and to other Christ followers. It changed me. And it'll change you. And it'll change your family. Okay, next. I need to make my personal relationship with God my number one priority. Now what do I mean by that? I mean that you make a commitment to pray and read the Bible daily. Not, not just make it an activity, but you make it a priority. And by that, I mean you get to the point where you say, you know what, before I do anything else today, I'm going to make sure that I've spent some time praying and reading the Bible. And if you don't know where to start reading the Bible, start with the book of Mark. It's the second book of the New Testament. And just read one chapter a day. And a chapter is only about one page. So it's very, very doable. Now, I want you to go back to the, to the very first bullet point on this list, the part about becoming a Christ follower, okay? Now, for many people, you might not have ever become a Christ follower. By that, I mean that you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you and then pledge your life to following him. If you've never done that, I want to give you a chance to do that. So, at the bottom of your message notes is a sample prayer for how to become a Christ follower. I'm going to read that prayer. And as I read it, I want you to think to yourself, have I ever prayed this before? And maybe, maybe not this exact wording, but something like it, okay? And if you haven't, then I encourage you to pray it today. But let me read it, and you just see if you've prayed this before. The prayer is this. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I believe in you, and that you died on the cross for me. Please forgive me for all my sins. I commit to follow you right now. Thank you for making me a new person inside. Help me grow in my faith and trust in you. Amen. So let me ask, have you ever prayed that prayer before? If not, and you're willing to pray it today for the first time, I'm going to give you a chance to do that because if Jesus actually did rise from the dead, then it's time to start following him. And the first step to following him is to actually become a Christ follower. So I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer. But before I do, 
I want everyone, find your connection card and let's take some next steps so that we can make the empty tomb more than a story. Perhaps for you it's this first next step. I commit to talk about the resurrection as the central event of Christianity. Not the cross, the resurrection. Next, I will rethink what I think about every relationship looking for how the resurrection improves that relationship. And particularly, how the forgiveness that you've received, that the resurrection proves you've received, how that improves the relationship, okay? Number three, since I believe the resurrection actually happened, I commit to fully yield to following Jesus by re-looking at my kid's schedule to see if there's anything God wants me to change. Would you do that? Number four. Since I believe the resurrection actually happened, I will make church a non-negotiable. Would you do that? I'm telling you, it will change, it'll change your family as much as it'll change you. Number five, since I now believe the resurrection actually happened, I will make my personal relationship with God my highest priority by praying and reading my Bible regularly. If you don't, again, if you don't know where to start, start reading the book of Mark and read a chapter a day. Number six, today I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the very first time in my life. Now look, if you've prayed that prayer before, you don't need to check this box. But if you've never prayed that prayer and you're ready to pray it today for the first time, Check this box because I want to mail you some free stuff in the mail that'll help you get started. Now I'm gonna give you a few moments of silence to pray that prayer, but one more next step, number seven. I will come back for the rest of the More Than a Story series. Would you be willing to make a one series investment in your own personal spiritual life? One series. Come back, and next week we're gonna talk about Noah's Ark. And I'm telling you, the lessons that God has for us next week, I'm telling you, they're going to be unbelievable. And they are, going, they are life-changing. So make sure you come back for this series, and especially next week. So I'm going to give you a chance to, for those that want to become a Christ follower, to pray that prayer, and everybody else a chance to pray silently and ask God to help you follow through with the next steps you've taken. So right now, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes, and let's all take these next moments to pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for every person that's here today and every person that's listening. And I ask you that you would help each of us to follow through with following you. Because the empty tomb is not just a story. It's more than a story. It's real. And I'm so glad that it is. And for those that became Christ followers today, I ask that you would help them to deepen and develop their faith. And that you would bring all of us back next week so that we can hear more. And ask you to do this in the incredible name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app 
for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.